podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And that'll show how smooth we are. We're on. We're on. Andy Campbell! It's in! Campbell comes off the bench to be a hero! A superhero! Breakthrough! It's taken a while, but it's been worth the wait for Cardiff City! Hi guys, so just me at the minute. Uh, we're having a few technical issues with uh, with our guests tonight, but uh, just bear with us. So, welcome to this podcast nation, the home of the Andy Campbell Show. Um, this is episode eighty six. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey so far. So, just continue watching, continue with us. By the way, for this uh, for this next little bit, it's podcast nation. We side us a host of of shows, some amazing shows with some amazing characters. <laughs> the mental health, which um, I think mine was on a couple of Sundays ago. Uh, download them, have a look at them because they're amazing. Um, all the AC Football Show um, social media platforms are all at AC Footy Show. Um, uh, and obviously the links uh, will be at the end of the show. So uh, please give us a follow. Uh, if you've got any questions, uh, any comments, please stick them in the, in the, in the chat and I'll answer them if, um, if I need to keep a little bit busy or I can go into any other business. Um, uh, a huge thanks to uh, Black Diamond and Martin Spit um, who help with the show. Um, uh, and also a big thanks to Dan Ralston who sponsors the show um, and Sai is going to play um, Darren's ad right now. My mummy and daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me, but I don't really understand. Then my auntie Louise told mummy about Bespoke Financial Teesside. She said they're a local company who helped her with her life insurance. Mummy got in touch and because they're based locally, a man called Darren was able to come to our house. He was really friendly. Darren stayed for a cup of tea and made it all really easy to understand. He said that life insurance will protect our home and family if anything bad were to happen. Like if mummy or daddy got sick, then we'd get enough money to take care of us and our house would be paid for so we wouldn't get taken away. After an hour, Darren said goodbye and mummy and daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted, we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner. Hey guys, I'm Sai. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> massive, massive shout out to Andy there, who had to on the fly take over my job, <laughs> and he now realises how difficult it is. But uh, not, happening. Yeah. not happening again. Not happening again. <laughs> Welcome everybody. And uh, yes, uh, by the way, this is episode number eighty-six. I don't know if Andy mentioned that. Yeah, I did. Rattling I did. along, rattling did. along towards a hundred. And uh, yes, so joining me, as you just heard, the goal collector, the fox in the box, the king of the Millennium Stadium. Ex Cardiff City and Middlesbrough striker Davy Jones's favourite son, Mr. Andy Campbell. Welcome, my friend. How are you? I'm excellent, mate. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm a little bit calmer now that you've come back on, and uh, and I don't have to do that again. That was. Uh, that's that's very different, by the way. That's uh, all new to me. That all new to me. Uh, just before we do start, and you do intro- introduce our special guest. Um, I know one person in particular who's super excited today. Is uh, is obviously a, a keen follower of the show. Uh, obviously, my old man. Um, who's he's like a kid in the sweet shop today so once um i'm sure he's going to put loads of questions in for our special guest and uh, yeah i'm looking for, I'm really looking forward to it because i say i know this uh, gentleman really well um he's looked after me uh, for quite a number of years so it's uh, a little bit of payback because i'll look after him tonight i think 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. It's, uh, it's an absolute honour to have today's guest. He's a former Northern Ireland international, represented his country at World Cups in 1982-1986, made over 480 appearances for Middlesbrough, plus appeared for Hartlepool, and, of course, the mighty Cardiff City. It is the legendary <laughs> Mr Jim Platt. Welcome, Jim. How are you, mate? I'm fine, thank you. Great to have you on, Jim. Really, thanks. Massive appreciation to come on, mate. I'm really looking forward to it. I say that, um, you know, I, I say I, I mentioned there that we uh, that we know, know know each other really well. Um, obviously, Jim um, works on match days at, at, at the football club at Middlesbrough, and, uh, and normally has special guests come on. And Jim's inviting me on and looked after me loads of times with him and his lovely wife. And uh, and it's always great fun. It's always great fun to reminisce and catch up with with people who are heroes at the club side. You know that we we. People class me as a hero at Cardiff City, which is which is lovely, you know. But I say, Jim, the amount of games he played for the football club, um, and the amount of things that he's he's achieved in his life and his especially football career was just surreal and unbelievable. But so it's going to be a good one. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's, uh, we've had many uh, special, interesting, famous guests on the show, um, and I, for me, like Jim, is someone you class as a a grade A legend when you've played in. In uh, World Cups, you know, like 82, 86, for, for me personally, those are the World Cup, but 86 World Cup is like the first World Cup which I remember. Uh, it's kind of around the time I fell in love with football, so uh, it's nothing but uh, an honour. Why, why were you watching the World Cup in 86? Because I was five years old, mate. Just as a football I'm not fan. Into, I'm not a... falling into it, mate. I'm not falling into it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Wales were there. Was... Wales were there in spirit, mate. In spirit. <laughs> um, Jim, so to start off with, Jim, we've got um, uh, some quick-fire questions called the Magnificent Seven, just so the viewers can get to know you a little bit. There's uh, normally a few um, a few choice questions, but I think we've been quite kind to you today. I'll be honest. I think we've been quite kind. We've we've, we've, <laughs> we've been we've been a little bit naughty in the past with a few guests. Um, right. Now there's there's some nice ones. Some nice ones. Yeah, I think I've been pretty uh, pretty good. Pretty good this time. Uh, so, right, already people to say what a legend Jim is, which is always good to see. Um, right, like this. Jim Platt, the magnificent seven. Uh, Messi or Ronaldo? Ronaldo. Uh, Jennings or Shilton? Oh. That's an easy one. Jennings. <laughs> uh, favorite TV show? Oh, I like the repair shop at the moment. Good, Good answer. I love. It. We've had loads love of. That. We've, had, we've had some. It. Yeah, we've had some mad, mad answers, haven't we? Some just very, very, very different answers, which is great every week. Just wanted to be nice and varied. Uh, football now or back in the seventies and eighties? Oh, definitely back in the seventies and eighties. Like it. Uh, John Hickton or Graham Souness? Oh, that's a difficult one. John Hickton played more games to Middlesbrough than Graham Souness did, so I'd have to go for John Hickton. Uh, you've made Nor- one man very happy with that answer, by I the way. I was going to say. One man very happy. Yeah. Uh, Northern Ireland 82 or Northern Ireland 2020? Oh, it had to be Northern Ireland 82. Good shout. And uh, so finally... The, the easiest question of them all, but always the most fascinating. Who is the greatest Northern Irishman of all time? 
It doesn't have to be football related. Again, that's another easy one. It has to be George Best. I'm sure we had um, we had the, we had exactly yeah, the same answer. We had uh, we had Keith uh, Gillespie on. I'm sure Keith. Uh, I'm sure Keith said the same, didn't he? Yeah, I think he was. A, I think he said say George West. It's that's it's almost like an easy one, isn't it? Because he's such a such a legend and so highly thought of by everybody, not just people from uh, Northern Ireland. I don't think. Um, on the on the subject of legends, we uh, we mentioned on Friday's championship show that uh, we lost a legend recently in Nobby Styles. Um, I was just wondering, Jim, if you could tell us kind of your memories of uh, of Nobby Styles and just your general views of the man. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Nobby came to Middlesbrough, Stan Anderson bottom. Uh, I was only young at the time, but we were, I think we finished fourth or fifth in the league the previous year, maybe first or sixth, but uh, I think Stan thought Nobby would be our missing link that would give us a push to get promotion the following year. So he bought him and uh, made him captain. Uh, but it just didn't quite work out. I think Nobby was on his last legs at the time. And, and then Jack Charlton came in and Jack sold him to Preston. But I must say that Nobby was a lovely man. On the pitch, he would have kicked anything. And off, off the pitch, he would have hugged you and kissed you. He was just a lovely man. It's it's great though, Jim, isn't it? You know what I mean? Because obviously he'd won the World Cup. He'd had a, he'd had an amazing career at Man United. So what, what was that like for the players in and around the middles of the dressing room? Should have somebody like that come into their into their dressing room in their world, really? Well, we were we were excited when we heard that he was coming, and the Middlesbrough one, I uh, understand Anderson did very very well, but we just couldn't get up in the top two. We went two up, two down then, and uh, we said, "Oh, nobody's coming in. Brilliant player." Good, uh, good character, and um, what we needed, um, but that didn't work out. So, is this? So, so it sounds like to me because Brian Robson gets loads of credit for bringing all these um, superstars into the football club, and you know what I mean. So, it went, so it went, it went further back than that, didn't it? Because obviously, with Stan bringing in um, World Cup winners, you know what I mean. That doesn't get any bigger than that for the football club. So, they're, they're being renowned, haven't they, to bringing in these these world class players and managers, so to speak, as well. Yeah, at that time, you know, England have won the Cup. Month, as you know, in 66 when they won it, and it was 70 or 71 or 72 when we signed Nobby, so he wasn't that older than the World Cup winner. Um, he was good influence on everybody because he was one of those type of people that everybody looked up to, and, but he just didn't give us that push to get promotion. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's fine margins, isn't it? We, we we spoke about that before, but we but it's a great memories to have, and you know what I mean. And and, and you personally, you know, man, you're obviously the people in the group chat. We're getting some amazing comments through, and uh, and I'm sure my dad will uh, pop up with a few questions. He've already made his night by saying um, um, John instead of uh, Graham Souness because my dad's favourite ever footballer for his lifetime is John Higdon, and he's 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 told me everything about him and more, which is uh, which is just the way that I was brought up, really, which is great. Um, we're going to do um, any of the business, I aren't we, just to begin with? Um, yeah. Yes, we so are indeed. Shall we begin with... Uh, I'd like to begin with side, the, the, the thing about Harry Kane, because it's annoyed yeah. me. Um, I watched... Um, I, I don't know, know if you've seen it, it, Jim, that um, uh, ESPN, which is obviously the, uh, the American um, commentary of the football games, um, did the Tottenham against uh, Brighton Hall Albion game last night, and, um, and they were making fun of the way that Harry Kane, Harry Kane speaks and talks, and and conducts himself during interviews and I just thought it, it, we need to grow up a little bit listen we're, we're going through a 
we're going through a horrible time in, in life. We're going through um, a lot of mental mental health issues, and people are making fun of people saying it's a good job he's a professional footballer and he and he's good at football. Well, hang on a minute, he's, he's an educated educated guy, is Harry Kane. You know what I mean? He never makes mistakes. Off the pitch, he's immaculate, a family man, two kids, a, a lovely a lovely wife by the looks of it. You know, and and I just think it's such a shame that people can start to poke fun at individuals. For me, look after your own, look after yourself. You know what I mean? If you if you're insecure about yourself, then um, don't start making fun of someone else. I just, I just think it's really sad, guys. I, I really do, and it just, it ruins the watching of football for me because um, you never get Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville poking fun at people. You know, the, 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 the yes, they'll, they'll be critical, but they, they don't go that far. There's a line, and, the, and for me, ESPN have massively crossed that. It's got nothing to do with his football. It's got nothing to do with his performance on the pitch. It's got nothing to do with Tottenham's performance on the pitch. And at the end of the day, well, you mentioned uh, Gary Neville and J- Jamie Carragher, wi- widely regarded, I would think, as probably the top two pundits in the world of football, certainly in the English-speaking world. Um, the reason they wouldn't say something like that is because they focus on the performances. And if they do talk about uh, stuff off the field, it's to do with the running of football clubs. It's not about appearances or personal lives or... You know, whatever it may be. However, I will say, Paul Pogba would probably disagree with that because he often gets criticised for his appearance by Sky Sports pundits. But that's another story. In this particular case, this is—it's not something which Harry Kane can help. You know, it's the—that's the way he speaks. That's it. Um, and I—I I agree with you, Andy, with what you said in terms of in this day and age with mental health, when we're trying to uh, change the world, change the way people view and treat mental health no one you don't know no one knows what's going on in harry kane's personal life you don't know if he's doing all right you don't know if he's struggling or he's having you know a problem nobody knows he you know he could be fine but he might not be so i don't know espn for such a large broadcaster they're one of the biggest broadcasters in the world you know they're the exclusive ufc hold rights holders there it's not like a independent internet company or something or a, you know you know it's I, I find it quite shocking and i find it a bit embarrassing i know they've they've apologized um which i suppose they do deserve credit for that i guess that they you know they've realized realized their mistake straight away but yeah I, it's 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 lowbrow humor and it's not funny so i don't know it's it is what it is i guess jim what do you feel about that because to me it's nothing to do with football so it had no place in well, I didn't see it, and none of us know how he came, but he, co- he comes across as a good, genuine guy. Uh, so he shouldn't be made fun of. I mean, nobody should be made fun of, really, especially on, on air. Uh, if, if that's what they did, it's disgraceful. Mm. Um, but he does come across as a, as a good guy and uh, articulate and doesn't make many mistakes, really, on air. I totally agree, Jim. And, and and to be fair, I think one of the comments uh, in the group that is, is not to give them airtime, you know, make make a big mm. thing of it because some of these companies sometimes do it for publicity. And if it's, yeah. it's a publicity stunt, it's a bang out of the publicity stunt. And uh, and yeah, I think it's, I think we've, we've we've made our point, haven't we? And um, I don't yeah, yeah, know You know what I mean? David Dude, Beckham's had it all his life about the way he talks, the way he's looked, his family, um, his wife. You know, so yeah. So let's leave it there. I think. Yeah, I mean, I will just quickly say because Rob makes a really good point. Can you imagine? If the roles were reversed and the lady presenter who was involved in it, there would be uproar. Oh, and yeah. I think that's uh, mm. 
footballers. And if it was easy, a female footballer targets, as well, if it was yeah. a female footballer it's, as well, you know, listen, it's 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 twenty twenty. You know what I mean? Let's 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 just leave it that. Leave it let's there. Be it's better than that. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Um, I totally agree. On a much more positive note, and I I've been very critical and haven't I over the last couple of weeks about uh, the fact that some football clubs are taking money from fans for mm. season tickets to hold their seats. And then charging fifteen quid pay per view games, uh, Newcastle have reimbursed fans season ticket money for the first was it the first five games? Is that it was, yeah. that right? Uh, firstly, though, I can't believe we're on this show like just uh, praising Newcastle, but now they've done a great thing. Come Listen, on, the fans, the fans did something amazing last week with the food bank, um, raised loads of money from not watching the game, and they got massive praise for that, and, and rightly so. For me, this is just on par, if not better. Uh, Mike Ashley gets absolutely slated by fans in the press. Uh, and probably rightly so for what he's done for that football club or not done for that football club. Um, but to to give the money back for the first five games, and that's just a starter, by the way, is a fantastic gesture because, listen, money doesn't go on trees. People use their hard-earned money to go and watch football games. They're struggling. You know, the, the hard-working people up, up, up north, especially you know, in Newcastle watching the games, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people who, who, who have bought tickets. So it'll cost Newcastle United a hell of a lot of money to reimburse all that money. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's <laughs> not cheap. And Who's then, the light, Rob? Who's the light, Rob? Yeah, well, but then, like Mike Ashley comes in for a lot of uh, a, a lot of criticism, rightly so, yeah. rightly so. Um, but ultimately, what we've said all along, Andy, is we like to give credit where it's due. Um, if people deserve a bit of a criticism, then we'll give an honest opinion. Um, Jim, are you pleased to see that Newcastle have gone down that route of reimbursing the fans? Would you also like to see more clubs go down that route? Yeah, I mean, if you bought something in the shop and it didn't work, you take it back. And it's the same thing. These people have bought the season tickets for a year and they can't watch a match. So they should be giving the money back. I think definitely, I think definitely, Jimmy, the Premier League because the Premier League is a different animal with money, and the clubs yeah. get enough money anyway from Sky Sports. I think the Championship, League One, League Two, it's, it's so different because they've still got the high wage bills. Um, you know what I mean? I think it's a it is a difficult thing. So to to say every football club should do it, I don't agree with. But I think it's Premier difficult. League is such a difficult, yeah, just such a but different animal for me. How would you feel, Andy, if you paid out four hundred pounds to watch Middlesbrough this year and you've never seen a match? Yeah, well, no, and then there's, there's last year on top of it as well, isn't it? Which the, which the fans, you know, what I mean, obviously didn't, disappointingly didn't get to watch the, towards the end of the season. Some of them, some fans have seen one one game this season. If you were the lucky ones, um, it's yeah, it's. it's yeah, it's, it's it's difficult and it's, it's very difficult, especially when you see a team do that. Um, then you think that should every should every other team do it as well? That it's it's nice on one hand, but then on the other one, it's a uh, shall we do it? Shall we not do it? There must be those kind of conversations which which are happening um, behind the scenes with all clubs now because it's um, you know what I mean. Are, are the bigger clubs going to do it? Are the little clubs going to follow suit and do it to be to be kinder to their supporters? It's a but it's a great gesture though. Great gesture. It, it, look, in my opinion, when you've got people like Ed Woodward boasting that Man United can do anything in the transfer window that no other club in the world can do, then there is absolutely no excuse for Manchester United to... I don't know if they're one of the clubs who are still collecting the season ticket money, but they, if they are, then there's no excuse for them not reimbursing those fans for the, for the game. No excuse, because they have that money. Same with Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs... I know, you know, like Spurs, for instance, are still paying for a new stadium, so they need money. But ultimately, they, I don't believe that any football club should be collecting season ticket money to hold a seat. That's I, just my I, opinion. 
I just think, say, si, how much, how much does a season, how much does season ticket holders make your football club? You know, because it's, it's income once a year. Everybody pays at one time, and they don't get any, anything for the rest of the season. So for me, I think, I think the, the best thing they can do is reimburse now and again. You know, or, or the, I don't know. Yeah, about uh, getting links to games for free. You know what I mean? Like every supporter shouldn't be punished because, on top of it as well, Newcastle fans had to pay £15 to go and watch the rubbish they had to endure the week before against Leicester City. So, you know what I mean? They're yeah. getting punished twice. So, it's nice that, that they did the right thing, the fans did the week before. Yeah. And then now the club's reimbursing the fans with a, a goodwill gesture for me. Yeah, Kelly makes a good point there just quickly. She says uh, she decided to buy her season ticket knowing there's a risk that she wouldn't be able to go down to watch Cardiff. However, she sees it as investing in the club uh, and that hopes you know she'll be standing the club will be standing for her to eventually watch them again one day and I think that's a fair point um, fans won't be allowed back in if the clubs don't push for it so there's that aspect to it I guess as well but when you're being asked to pay 15 quid extra to watch your team on top of Sky subscriptions and stuff it's a lot of money um, Andy what was the third uh, bit of AOB you wanted to discuss mate um, I wanted to talk to Jim about international football because obviously somebody who's had the, 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 the career that Jim's had um, and I look at this Nation League um, and I look at international oh. friendlies and I look at the amount of games which are ex the expectation of the games that are played between the national players. I just, wanna, I just want Jim's opinion on the Nation League and, and friendly games. Is there too many games? Um, should, should the World Cup qualifiers and European Championship games just be enough? Um, I just, I'd love your opinion, Jim, because I'm quite critical of the Nations League. I'm quite critical of the teams that certain countries put out for friendlies because you know, what I mean, it's some are meaningless. Uh, but I just like your opinion, really. I don't understand it for a start, Andy, the Nations League. I know Northern Ireland plays Slovakia in a few weeks' time, and if they beat Slovakia in Belfast. They will qualify for the final of the European, whatever it is now. <laughs> uh, but then after that, they've got program matches in the is it the World Cup or, or that? Yeah. I, there's too many matches. You're right. Uh, it's the same as the the old um, Champions League. Champions League now used to be the top team in the each league qualified for that. Now they've got down to fourth or fifth, and they play extra games and. Uh, the only reason why I play it is money. Um, I'm, 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 you know, I'm glad you said that because I, 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 I know everyone in the show knows how critical I'll be the Nations League. And, and for somebody of your calibre and a proud Irishman um, who doesn't understand, you know, I mean, for me, I, I see it as meaningless. Everybody has a go at me on here because they say that, 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 that you can qualify for a tournament with it. For me, it's just pointless. You know, I mean, the, the way you qualify for a tournament is um, qualifying for the World Cup or qualifying for the Euros by finishing the top two or winning the playoff games. For me, I'd rather have um, Northern Ireland against Brazil as a friendly, as a as a big friendly, and and testing the players out instead of having a game against Slovakia, a game against Malta, a game against anybody else. Which for me doesn't mean anything. And and listen, they've got a new manager in Ian Barraclough, uh, who I think you know he's earned his stripes. He's got a great opportunity, but does he need to be judged by meaningless a meaningless competition for me called the Nation League? For me, he's got to be judged on the World Cup or the Euros, and, and go from there. The managers complain about too many matches, aren't they? Yeah. And it's, it's not the managers that, that, that make the matches, but there's too many matches. I mean, in my day, we didn't have a two-week break for international matches. We may have played uh, Germany on, on a Wednesday night. We, we met up on a Sunday 
after the match on the Saturday. Uh, normally Northern Ireland people meet up in London if we were travelling away. Yeah. Um, we fly out on the Monday, uh, train on the Tuesday, play the match on the Wednesday, fly back on the Thursday, train with our clubs on the Friday, and play again on the Saturday. And we never complained. Mm. And, and, and this is this is for me that yeah, they hear people saying they don't want the they don't want the the, the players to go travelling away for um, for the friendly games or for the national team. At, listen for me, just don't complain about it. You know what I mean? If you're tired, tell your manager, then you don't play the following week. But your players want to play, so if you go away and you go and, you go and play for your country, you earn a cap, which is the best feeling in the world, or you you keep a clean sheet, you score a goal then you're, you're buzzing, you want to go and play for your club on a Saturday and then you'll get your rest on a Sunday or the Monday uh, and then you've got all week to think about it. I just think, for me, there's a, there's a lot of lot of people who do, uh, who see, you said that their Champions League and the Premier League probably is a is a better competition than in international football, but for me, there's nothing bigger in your in your football career than, than represent your country. It's the proudest moment in your in your life um, and you get to play with the, with the best players in, in, the, in the country, which is great. They've got the Europa League, whatever it's called now as well. There's extra matches in that as well. Yeah. If you're, if you're not good enough for the Champions League, you go into the next league down. And it used to be the winners of the, the old Cup Winners Cup, wasn't it? Uh, the teams that won the, won the Cup in their respective countries played, played off of that. Um, it's, just a, it's just a money-making thing all over. Yeah, I totally agree. I, t- I, t- I totally agree. Um, just obviously, I, I, I will touch on Northern Ireland a little bit, Jim. Obviously, Michael O'Neill did a he did a fabulous job, um, and then obviously he's dropped. At, well, as he as he is it is it is he gone to a lesser job going into full time, or is he is it a step up from what he was doing? Uh, what what do you see? I see he's got he's gone into a tough job um, with a, with a, probably a, a lot of expectation, but he was doing such a good job. I'd, I'd be I'd be gutted if it didn't work out for him. He did a brilliant job for Northern Ireland. He got to the uh, uh, Euro finals. Um, we had never qualified for the Euro finals before. Um, and he made us hard to beat. Uh, he took over Stoke, and I think he sees it as maybe as a stepping stone to something bigger. Stoke's a big club, you know, and they had very, very good players. Uh, they underachieved last year. They managed to keep them up when they started raising the world this year. I think. It's a full-time job, and whereas Northern Ireland was a, uh, a part-time job. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree, and we, we've said it on there. You know what I mean? I think they needed the right person at that football club. They needed somebody who's got a good track record with players, who can handle big players, who can who can be quite tough. And to be fair, he's 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 done a great job since he's been in there. He kept them up, and on paper, for me, they're probably the best side in the championship. On paper, they've got a really good squad. They brought Premier League players in, so. You know what I mean? I'm not surprised how well he's done to start the season as well. I'm, I'm to be fair, I thought he might have, maybe he's done a little bit better. Um, but and what about uh, Ian Barraclough, Jim? Just to finish off with Northern Ireland, then how do you uh, how do you think he started and how do you think he's going to do? I don't know much about him, but uh, it's a hard act to follow. That's the problem when Billy Bingham took us to two World Cup finals in '86. Whoever came in after him was going to have it very difficult, and this is the same for Barraclough. Uh, he started. I think reasonably well, but uh, if they beat Slovakia in a couple of weeks' time, uh, then he will have really got his act together and people will look up and say, well, he's doing well. Yeah, I, I, I do like that he's been given an opportunity, you know. I, like, I, I remember playing against him at, at North County years and years and years ago. Um, he, was a, he was a very good defender. Um, and obviously, you know what I mean, he's been given a great opportunity now. So I, I do hope he does well because for me, 
you know, I, mean, I know we laugh and we joke on here, side, don't we, about um, about each other's countries and stuff. But for me, the best tournaments are the ones where the last one where we're all in it. You know what I mean? And 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 you know what I mean? Where we're playing each other and there's and there's there's camaraderie, there's there's competition. But one of us then's got a better chance to progress forward and do well. And that needs to be happening for the Premier League, the EFL Championship, uh, for, for just for British football, just to keep everybody interested. Yeah, I mean, international football is different than when it was when I played. We were only 16 of the squad, now they're 24 or whatever, you know. Um, and when we went to the 1982 World Cup, we had to take, I think it was five Irish league players with us to make up the 22. Uh, now you've got players uh, mostly coming in. Yeah. Which is which is crazy, sir, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, just, you, Smart, you don't think it? you don't think, do you? You know what I mean? It's it's no. uh, it's a crazy world now. Crazy well, I world. think going back a few years, like Wales used to predominantly pick their international team from League One and yeah. the lower part yeah. of the Championship, with then like one or two in the Premier League. At you know the sort of top players. Obviously, that's changed now over the years, and I think the improvement in the Championship. Has kind of correlated with that as well, like you discussed, Andy, earlier in the season about um, it basically being like Premier League two, and I think that has improved the whole nation international sides. Uh, whether it's Northern Ireland, it's Scotland, Wales, I think the smaller nations have benefited from the improvement in quality of the English football league system. If that makes sense, I totally um, agree. But the thing is, aside, Jim obviously watches a um, a host of. Championship games, obviously, with the, with doing the job that he does at Middleton Football Club, sees every home game, um, and obviously then goes to, to, to do some away games as well. That, that the standard of the championship is is so high at the minute, you know, with with some of the players that, that half of those players what are playing in the in the championship at the minute, they've either played in the Premier League before or probably would have been playing in the Premier League five, six, seven years ago, and it's it's a shame for some of them that they're, that they're not playing at the top, the, the, the highest level, which they, which they can. But for me, I do I see it as a Premier League too, and I see it as a really good level and. Um, and people are making a very good living out of playing in the in the in the second division, basically in, in English football, which is which is amazing. But you know what I mean? The, the wage bills, the attendances, obviously when crowds can be there, the size of the football clubs, some of the sides in in, in the championship. We spoke about side didn't we, on the championship show. Some of them have won the European Cup. You know what I mean? This is yeah. just ridiculous. You know that Nottingham Forest. You know what I mean? Norwich City win the Champions League. So people, have, it's just it's ridiculous. Look at look in League One, mate. Portsmouth, FA Cup winners, Sunderland. There's numerous clubs in it all the way yeah. down it's unbelievable um yeah. look we've already had loads of questions um so we're just going to kind of skip through a couple quickly so they don't get too stacked up um oh i got a question that don't happen very often uh james <laughs> costley james costley says si what do you think harris in or harris out well i was never harris in so that'll tell you everything that you need to know um <laughs> Look, I, I I made it clear I didn't think he was the right choice. I still don't think he's the right choice. However, I'm I back him and I want him to win and I want him to do well. But he's got to pick the he's got to make his formation and tactics suit the players that he's got at the football club, not what he envis envisages as football. And also, he needs to start looking to win games instead of setting up to not to lose. But we'll talk about that more on Friday. Um, just quickly, Andy, are you Harris in or Harris out? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm Harris that you cannot give a team a two-goal lead because this is becoming a, a regular recurrence. I haven't done his first game in charge yeah. and it's still happening now on his last game in charge. So, listen, no team has got the divine right to turn up and win a football game. Um, 
if you give it if you give an average side a two 0 head start or, or a good side a two 0 head start, you're never going to win the game. This, no team is going to score three goals week in week out to win a football match. And Cardiff are no different. You know what I mean? Cardiff don't score enough goals, so they're never going to score and win a game. If the if you know what I mean? I look at the game against QPR when it went to one nil. I thought here we go. Uh, when it went to two mm-hmm. 0 I thought they're going to get beat five again because yeah. that's just the way they do at QPR. But it, listen. You can't afford. I'm an ex-teammate of Nils, and I like him as a man. Um, I think he's getting his team selections all wrong, um, but but only he can turn this round. And if he turns it around and, and decides something quickly, you know what I mean. He needs to stop with the formation and go four four two. I stick two people front. That's what he needs to do, in my opinion. Yeah. But I'm not a manager, and that's why he's paid to do the job which I talk about. Yeah, and we'll you know we'll go into it in detail on Friday. Absolutely. Um, a few people have asked about uh, Bobby Charlton, and including your dad, Andy, has asked about uh, Bobby Charlton and, and Rob Boyle, and there was a couple of other guys asking about the links to dementia and football. Um, is it time? Do you think that we re- football? I know there has been investigations, but is it time we use some of this Premier League big money to really delve into this subject? And um, you know what? What can we do about the connection between football and Alzheimer's and dementia? Uh, Jim, we'll start with you for that one, mate. Have you got like? Do you think it's time we start using this big money for the that sort of thing? Yeah, this comes up every time somebody dies of dementia, and it should be brought up before they die. I mean, Nobby had dementia for quite a few years. I don't know whether everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. He had been in the home for quite a few years, and he wasn't in a, in a good way. I think Bobby Charlton was had it for a while, although it's only just come out now. Jack yes. Charlton had it for a while, and Jack died recently. So I think we need to look after these people long before they pass away, because there's no point in talking talking about it and looking after it, looking after them after they died. Spot. I totally agree. I, I, it was it was John Harton, wasn't it? John Hart John Harton famously came out and did say, um, obviously the links with things and the links with with illness about heading the ball, etc. And uh, and and did try and get um, something going, but it never really took off. And it, which 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 baffles me really. Like Jim just said there about uh, about people, you know what I mean? And and it annoys me that people um, people become famous when they die, but mm. why? You know what I mean? The, the the, 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 they're extremely famous all of the time. You know what I mean? And and, and that's um, that's Bobby Ball, that's uh, Nobby Styles, that's that's everybody. You know what I mean? Why does it take somebody to die before we start talking and saying the good things about them and what they did and what they achieved and and, and, and things and, and and the illnesses they've got? And it's not a it's not a swear word to ta- start talking about these illnesses and start talking about mental health and start talking about things that we that we all want to talk about. But we wait until it's too late to start talking about it, and it's it's so sad. You know what I mean? Because the only way to help people is by um, is by is by being proactive and, and, and doing it. And I do I, I severely hope that we can that we can help. And if and if football money, which is massive, by the way, you know what I mean. I know we've just probably contradicting ourselves, saying that we need to put money in, but clubs are giving money back. But for me, once football is back to normal and fans are back in and, and the clubs can generate a little bit more money, can can the clubs support their local area with these kind of things? I hope so. Yeah, they should do. These foundations that are set up within the clubs, every club's got a foundation which they use for the, the soccer camps and the kids. and the You know, there's a lot of money in football clubs which is distributed to various projects. I'm not, obviously, it's not saying take the money away from kids' football, but what I mean is how important are all those projects? 
You know, there's. I'm sure that bigger clubs can cut back if they need to cut back rather than spend money they've got to to do to, to, to investigate this and and try and get a better conclusion than what we're currently getting. Um, and like a few people have said, it is obviously it's a it's a horrendous um, disease which is not just painful for the people who who get it, but also the people, the families of the people and the friends of the people. It's uh, it's brutal. Um, uh, okay, what else have we got? There's loads and loads of questions. Uh, where was the other one? There was another. There was one really good one from your dad, Andy. I'm just trying to find it. Oh yeah, um, Jim. Who was your favourite manager that you played for at Middlesbrough? Well, first of all, it's Stan Anderson because he bought me and gave me my chance to play. And then it was Jack Tech, who was the best manager I played under. Stan bought all of the players and Jack took over a good team and made it into a great team. He, he, he got Bobby Murdoch on a free transfer and he was a missing link. Uh, we murdered the second division under Jack and we did well in the first division the first year. Um, but yeah, Stan and Jack, I mean, uh, Stan was a good manager. He just didn't get the promotion that we wanted. Jack took over, as I said, with Stan's team. Stan bought me, bought John Hickton, he bought John Craggs, bought Graham Souness, uh, and there's a couple more. So the Stan's team, but Jack took over, made us a, a great team. What was, what, what was so special about him, Jim? You know what I mean? Because everybody sees what he did, um, obviously, with Republic of Ireland, but, you know what I mean, he obviously learned in his stripes at a club level before he before he grew that successful. What was, what was so special about him? Well, you know, Jack's first, it was his first managerial job with us, and we were looking forward to him because, you know, Cup winner, uh, uh, World Cup winner, uh, his first job. He came in, we went to Scotland and, a couple of maybe two or three matches and we, we won them and then we uh, the first match of the season we went to Portsmouth and won 1-0 uh, it was a hard match because Portsmouth had spent a lot of money that year and then we lost our first home match against Fulham and we saw the real Jackson <laughs> because he came in and did his knock after the match and we had a bit of an argument not, not me but all of Paris had a bit of an argument with him and he said you're doing my Stepping way or you won't do it at all. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and we won three, three games on the field after that. We finished up where you four games all season and we won the league quite easy. We had a good team, but he was a good player. Um, so you just broke up a little bit there, Jim. Uh, another question we had uh, from a couple of people was. Um, what was George Best like as a person? Do you have any personal stories that you could share about him? Not on there, I don't think. But Arthur <laughs> 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 Pace George was a lovely bloke. He was quiet. Uh, if he went away anywhere, uh, he was always recognisable because of his long hair and his looks and that. And everybody used to fly over to him and ask him for his autograph. And he used to sign them all. Uh, said nothing. Uh, when we went away, he was sitting in the corner. He wouldn't make himself known. Very quiet person and uh, a lovely man. Uh, I won't say too much about his lifestyle, but uh, uh, we all liked him being a because we knew he was 
that sort of player. I just have an aura about him. I remember he played against England one time after England won the World Cup, actually, at Windsor Park. And uh, England put a fellow called Peter Story, he played for Arsenal, put him on to mark him. And Peter Story went everywhere with him trying to kick him. At one time, George stopped the ball from the other halfway line, put his foot in the ball, and said to Peter Story, come and get it. To Peter Story's credit, he didn't dive in because if they dived in, George would have taken it around him. And, the crowd, the crowd loved that. What you said there, Jim, about um, about George being a, being a quieter person, you know what I mean? That's, that's great insight for me because um, if I'm an outside looking in, someone who's never met the bloke and um, somebody who um, would, would would make a make a make a judgment on him would be he'd be loud, he'd be eccentric, he would be in your face a little bit. So you know what I mean? I think some people get a bad reputation. Um, from rumours, from stories, from other people who don't know him, and I think that's it's always nice to come across people who uh, who genuinely know somebody and, and has, has had a relationship with them, so you can get the truth on on how they are as a person. Yeah, he was quite. I only went away. He would stay in the corner of the way. He wouldn't get involved with anything. Uh, and the girls went to him. He didn't have to go to the girls. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we've all had that problem, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> but a fantastic player. If you, if you see clips of him on the pitches that we played on, on the pitches that we play on now, I mean, he was just gliding past people uh, and, the, and the people were trying to kick him. You could kick people in those days and you'd be unlucky to get booked. Uh, now, if you, if you look at somebody, you get booked. Uh, he had to put up with all that. Uh, fantastic player. Yeah, just which is what you said there, Jim, about about pitches and things. Um, is is there an excuse in twenty twenty to play badly with the, with the, with the, with the facilities they have, the training pitches, the pitches, everything's given to them. You know what I mean? They have everything's brought to them. It's it, for me I, when I when I see people playing badly or when I see people who look like they're not running around and trying, and I just find it so disrespectful because being a footballer is such a privileged position, you know what I mean? People would give their left leg to play football and, and, and play for their, their football club or their hometown club. To be, um, to see the facilities what people people are playing in now, does that make you envious at all for what you had to play under? No, the only time we had a good pitch was in August when it was a new pitch. <laughs> and probably for about a month it was good. Uh, and then it got muddy down the middle. And from a goalkeeper's point of view, it was very awkward. Worst in the uh, springtime because it was muddy and it was hard and the ball wouldn't bounce correctly. And we had our bare hands on those days. We didn't have gloves, so that sometimes the ball would bounce off the day and you'd get a finger pop out or something, you know. I remember I dislocated two fingers at Queensland uh, Rangers one day, sure, my fingers popped out. The trainer came on, put them back into place, shut them up, and I played on. Uh, you had to because there was no sub goalkeeper in those days. Yeah, uh, well, and 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 I think that's the thing, isn't it? I don't I don't think footballers do get do get credit and and, and credit where it's due. You know what I mean about you know what I mean when I when I listen to uh, players saying that, that, that they're not hundred percent, they're not they don't know if they're going to play. You know what I mean? I, I I don't think I ever went into a game one hundred percent fit or felt great every time I wanted to play. It was just you know what I mean. Sometimes it's just. It's just excuse that you just want uh, you just want players just to be ready to shake and just understand how privileged and lucky they are to be involved at the level that they're playing at sometimes. I don't think you could you couldn't play every game hundred percent. 
Kajandi. You've probably some games you were 90%. But I think in our day, you wanted to play. You didn't want to be left out of the team because if you left out of the team, you had yeah. to go back up again. It wasn't a big, big sport in our day, but everybody wanted to play. I mean, we didn't mind playing two or three matches a week. Now, when, when some of the players there could be matched the week, I'll spend too much football. So, and they weren't playing with the muddy pitches from the heavier balls that we were playing with. Yeah. Oh, which is obviously a great insight, side, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, there's a the massive footballs. difference between those yeah. balls as well. Um, well, you tried, just took the words off your mouth there, wasn't it? Um, mm. But like, I, funny enough, with just very quickly going back to the discussion we were having about dementia and Alzheimer's, obviously back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, the balls used were so heavy, I think that they think the scientists and the people who've investigated have kind of indicated that those heavy balls have had a lot to do with people having issues later in life. Um, obviously, the balls now, that some of them are like flyaway balls. They're so light. Um, how 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 heavy were those balls, um, Jim? Sort of back in when you were playing. Sometimes I hoped that they were heavy because they couldn't kick it as hard. Yeah. <laughs> coming at me. Uh, they were even heavier when I first started off as a youngster because they used to have a lace in them. Uh, YouTube boy couldn't remember that, but they, they were laced them up. They were, they were real leather balls with a, with a, a, a bladder in, in the inside of it. Uh, they're, they're very light now, and, but they go faster now. Um, uh, you know, we don't say boxes must get dementia because they get hit in the head all the time. Rugby players obviously get a lot of head injuries. So it's not just footballers. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I do totally agree. I just think we can do a little bit more for uh, for sportsmen because I think I think more than most, you know, I mean, you mentioned boxing there, um, obviously martial arts as well, um, that people are putting their life on the line every time they go over that white line or in, the, in that ring or um, in the cage or whatever they want to do, you know what I mean? Because they're doing it for themselves, yes, but they're doing it for the people as well and other people's um, joy and other people's uh, just just to be a just to be a showpiece and, and and I think sometimes that we take it all for granted and just think it's it's all okay and it's not sometimes you know I think we need to uh, we need to look after each other and, uh, and 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 sport just as much because you know I mean like like we we go on about there about when people um, get ill or or worse that that then people start talking about them and then start thinking about the things that we can put in place yeah it's too late then yeah too let's late. do it before. Um, this is an interesting question on a completely different subject. Uh, Craig asked our, our opinion on uh, rumours that uh, the Euros are now going to be played over one country and uh, in Russia next year. Um, is that the rumours? Is that, is that that's is the rumours, yeah. Is it? Obviously, with um, all the restrictions, it makes sense that they're not going to spread it around like they were going to initially. It makes, it makes sense it being in Russia because they're allowing supporters back in. I watched... Um, Chelsea played there on Wednesday night, and I watched the the game there with supporters in, which was great. By the way, it was a, it was a good atmosphere. Um, Chelsea played Cruzon's door, um, beat them four nil. Um, there was, I think, half the half the stadium was full. It was it was a really good atmosphere, different than what I've been used to. Um, so listen, Sai, if it means that we can get some kind of atmosphere back in in a competitive game, um, I'm all for it. You know what I mean? I think the issue is um, people won't be able to travel. You know what I mean? So we're not going to get, be able to get people from England and Wales and Ireland to go over and, and watch the countries. So I'm not sure if it would be better, but I'm all for games playing in front of a crowd. Yeah, yeah fans. I think, I think it should be one country. I don't think it should be travelling about. 
Um, I think any final should be among country. Same way as I don't, I don't agree with the semi finals of the, uh, the FA Cup in Wembley. I think Wembley should be for the final and final only. Uh, because I was fortunate enough to play, I'm not in the FA Cup final, but I was fortunate enough to play at Wembley for Northern Ireland on three different occasions, and Wembley still has an aura about it. And uh, to, to take a semi final. Uh, to Wembley, to me, is devalued. And people should be looking forward to playing the final at Wembley. It should be a fantastic day. I wasn't there. Uh, I, my team wasn't good enough to get there. I was good enough, but my team wasn't get good enough to get to the FA Cup final, which I would have loved. I totally, I, totally, I totally agree. I mean, I, Sai knows my feelings on the FA Cup. I'm a massive advocate of the FA Cup. I say my my first childhood memories are watching the FA Cup final day and uh, watching every goal and watching uh, the players come into the game and it was you know I mean back then it was it was the semi-finals were normally at Hillsborough Villa Park uh, yeah. Main Road you know so for me that should how it, how it should be you know it, it, the, the special thing people people don't mind losing the semi-final now because you've already played at Wembley and that shouldn't be the case you should be devastated that you've not won because you're not getting to play at Wembley where people are happy to play at Wembley and, and Wembley gets overused now is it it's not a privilege suggestion, anymore is a suggestion obviously when Wembley was being built um, they moved everything to the Millennium Stadium which went beautifully it was really good great stadium why do they not play the semi-finals at the millennium stadium so it's still a neutral ground which is a you know a magnificent stadium and then you've still got wembley as the the home of english football to be where the finals will take place and i think it makes it special you've got so many good stadiums in england uh i mean um andy mentioned uh hillsborough and that they were big announcements of a big stadium in, in our day, held 50 or 60,000, but you've got Tottenham now, Arsenal, Man United, Liverpool, they're all fantastic, even Newcastle, all fantastic stadiums. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, the of who, who qualifies it. The two London teams, you probably replace Spurs, unless Spurs are one of the teams. But, that, but that's what we should do, Jim. That's what we should do, though. We shouldn't, we shouldn't pick the grounds until, obviously, Say the, say the games are going to be at neutral ground. So if it's Tottenham against Arsenal, we play at Chelsea or we play somewhere else or we play at West Ham. You know what I mean? Play at the stadium, which can hold both supporters, but play at local. You know what I mean? If it's if it's Man United against uh, Man City, we play at Leeds or, or Liverpool. You know what I mean? Or you know what I mean? Let's not exactly. That's the Craig's bang on there. You know what I mean? We're we're still paying for Wembley, so the fans and the clubs are, are paying out for England and paying out for Wembley and paying out because we overshelled and we overspent on a on a ground which didn't need that much money spending on it by the way yes it, it, it took over the old stadium you know what I mean so the amount of money which is which is it's going to generate which will be massive it'll be great but it's costing far too much and we get, we're overusing it we're overusing it for me it shouldn't oh, be used for for what it is in my opinion um, Andy someone asked I'm just looking for the comment would you get an I love the nation's league tattoo for charity I can't remember. I'm trying to find. Okay. Who said it. Yeah, on me, on me, on me backside. Because that's, yeah. that's where it needs to go. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, no. for charity, for charity. I don't like, I don't like pain. I don't, I'm not a big fan of pain. If if you could guarantee me no pain, it was small. I don't want to upset anybody. Yeah. And I don't I want to show it. Have to show it as well. Well, yeah, you'd have to prove it, wouldn't you, <laughs> to, to, to be able to collect the charity money. So <laughs> it all becomes a bit problematic. Just get an Ace Podcast Nation one instead. I'm getting nervous. And the get last a, time you, I, the last time you started to matter for charity, me and Danny Batten nearly had a fight. 
like, well, I, I tried to make it happen, but people just <laughs> yeah, you, scared, out, scared you, you, you backed out. To right, but uh, yeah. Oh, right. Sorry about that. Legs uh, going right. Let me see. Just see if there's any more questions quickly, and then if not, we'll move on. Uh, oh, it's, it's Mr. Stuart Campbell. What a gentleman. He says, uh, what, does what does qualification for a major tournament mean to the Northern Irish people? Qualification for the major tournament? Yeah. We don't, we don't get many qualifications. So, and you know, there's about five times more people in London than there is in the whole of Northern Ireland. So for us to, to treat a, a major final as a fantastic achievement, and Billy Bingham took us to, to, to Spain in 82. It's funny if we didn't expect to get there <laughs> and we had to organise things at the last minute. Um, and then he took us to, to Mexico and we were a bit more organised then because we had already done it four years previously. But for the country as a whole, a fantastic, uh, you know, it, it, it sets the whole country alive. You said there, though, Jim, about uh, about you weren't prepared for the 82 World Cup, uh, but you were a little bit more prepared for the 86 World Cup. Um, which one was better then? Which one was better, in your opinion, out of the two? So which one was more fun? Which one was better? I'll tell you a difference in preparation. Before 82, we, we, we trained uh, in Brighton, at Brighton University. OK. And before 86, uh, in Mexico, we trained in Albuquerque. That's, That's right. It's a small difference. It's, it's a tiny difference. Yeah. Albuquerque was high, high altitude because Mexico was high altitude. Yeah. yeah. Albuquerque. But Brighton, Birmingham, said it's, it's as far as south as we could get. And the weather was better down south. And we two weeks training in Brighton before we flew out to Valencia. But no, 82 was the best because uh, we qualified for the next, next uh, stage in 82. Which is which is absolutely great, though, isn't it? It's absolutely fantastic. So, was the did you feel as a as a group of players? Did you feel individually? Did you feel um, under pressure the, the second time around more than the first because you'd been there, you'd done it, and um, and there was more expectation from the nation. No, when we when we were in Spain, I remember sitting uh, around the pub. We were like one hour sunbathing in a day, by the way, and we're sitting around the pub, sitting with somebody McElroy, and we were due to play. Spain the following evening, and we've been away two weeks in, in Brighton, and two weeks in Spain, and we were getting a bit bored, and I said, we're coming, well, you know, in two days' time, we'll be home, so we'll be okay, and then we're going to beat Spain, which we didn't expect to beat Spain, uh, they haven't been beating Valencia for so many years, uh, and then we're another week away, um, Spain was good, and we we're the same bunch of players, a half the same, Mexico, but we were coming to the end of our careers. And then on the same was magnificent for us. It's those kind of experiences for me, though, Jim. You know that I'm fascinated by that because obviously the World Cups, especially uh, the '86 World Cup, was was something that obviously I remember from the from the Gary Lineker and the Diego Maradona, obviously in the in the just just the being around it, um, watching it from afar. But being involved in a World Cup must be is that the pinnacle of any but any any young person's. Career dreaming coming through your coming through your, the dream of being a footballer. Yeah, it's funny in Mexico. Put uh, back to Mexico. Scotland were in Mexico. Scotland come back in the same plane as us. Uh, Scotland directors were in front of the plane, which was first class. Our directors were behind them. The Scotland players were behind them, and we were at the back in the cheap seats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's class. 
That's that's uh, that's that's quality. That's quality. And to be fair, you should Scotland should have been underneath. To be fair, so and I'll give them. Uh, that's that's just, that's terrible. Uh, now, I, I, do you know what? It's, it's little things like that, though, isn't it? You know what I mean? Because you think nowadays, I it's um, teams will charter their own flights. You know what I mean? There'll, yeah. there'll be nobody on them. You know what I mean? Even and I'm going back. I'm going back probably when I played and we went away with the 21s that we would have um, some of the press on our flight. You know what I mean? Now that won't happen. Uh, I'm guessing. I don't, I don't know. I'm just guessing that now. But they used to. You know what I mean? We used to have a good relationship with probably four or five of the uh, of the major 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 newspapers at the time and. Um, and it was interviews on the plane on the way back because that's where you got your your most time or your, or your best time to sit down and and talk about what you're doing or what you've just done. It's it's difficult to do it anywhere else. But um, now your players and I'm on about Champions League teams. I'm on about national teams. They have their own planes to take them here, then everywhere around the world. And it's it's so different. And the and the distance between um, probably the directors and the and the and the football associations and the players is so it's so it's so it's just it's miles apart than it used to be and that, and that's probably why uh, when Jim mentioned earlier on about about football back then is better than football back football now and football when I played was better than it is now because I, I don't see I see it now as a business uh, I see now there's no link between players and fans and it's such a shame because you know what I mean you're only a footballer for a length of time and Jim will tell you that when Jim horses lounges and when he invites guests in the, the fun you can have with supporters because they, you're a real person and they relate to you because you're a real person I don't see footballers now as real people Football, footballers now are the superstars or you know what I mean they're, they're, they're so hard to get to because of social media and they're scared to let themselves go in case there's a story about them or something it's such a shame I, I find it a real shame and there's so many millionaires now yeah I must, I must tell you a story. Sorry, it's not an international story, but it's. I mean, when I played, there were different countries. There's somebody. I mean, Russia has broken up now. I played against uh, East Germany and West Germany. Uh, go across into East Germany. We flew into Berlin. Walked across cheap checkpoint Charlie with our cases on the bus at the other side and played the match and then come back again because you weren't allowed to fly into East Germany. Um, outside. Right. Okay. And uh, see, that's see, that, that's another thing that you don't think of, do you? you know, I mean, obviously the no. the, Ber- the Berlin Wall and and, and yeah. obviously the difference. So, uh, what was the difference between the two German sides? But then, no, Jim, it was, it was obviously West Germany were obviously strong. You know what I mean? Were, were East Germany just as strong, or was there a was there yeah. a, a gulf a gulf in difference? Each of them had uh, six six players, and they were built. Like that. <laughs> Uh, there were there wasn't much difference between them. I mean, there were Germans, whether they yeah. were coming from east or west, there were Germans, and they were both both very hard to beat. The Germans are always hard to beat, uh, no matter yeah. what competition they're in. Yeah, which is uh, oh, yes. they don't get any easier, do they? You know what I mean? And I think, and I, uh, you know what I mean? The, the standard of the of the players, you know what I mean, from the seventies, eighties, nineties, even 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 now, you know what I mean? The, they're just they're probably technically better than they were back then, but before they were they were they were built strong, they were physical and but they could play as well. And I think sometimes we yeah. didn't give them enough credit because of how they looked and how they were built. Sometimes, spot on. Um, here's a here's a f- phenomenal question, Andy. You mentioned uh, Scotland uh, just a while ago. Uh, uh, Mr. Stuart Campbell is on fire. Oh, don't don't say says, this, by the way. He's got a big head. He yeah. said, uh, "Is the sorry, Premier sorry, League?" Sorry, sorry. Before you answer this question, can he? Can you tell him? Because I've had a go at him by the way, dear. 
he needs to join in like this every week. He can't just perk up when one of his favourite players is on. He can't just do I this know. once in a blue moon. It's just, yeah. just not, He's not got to do it all the time. He always messages me. Me and we have back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> Meet oh. up for coffee. I'm glad he doesn't no, like he said, um, is the Premier League responsible for the decline of Scotland and Northern Ireland? Uh, Jim, you go first with that one. Well, obviously, uh, the influx of the foreign players has affected the national teams. Uh, when I play, every team in England, every good team in England, had a good Scottish player. You're talking about Dallas Lowe, Dave Leash, Billy Bramley, you can go on and on. Every team had a good Scottish player. And Scotland were a good team then, but... Um, then, uh, you couldn't name me sort of half a dozen good Scottish players in the Premiership night. Yes, the influx of the foreign players, I mean, I almost just think they should cut the influx of, of, of foreign players. Now, you realise so many in each, each team. Uh, it won't happen because money dictates everything. I think it's been good for the game, the foreign players, but I think there's too many of them. Now, and going back to the Scotland thing, I mean, Northern Ireland will always be okay. Uh, Scotland should qualify. Well, they used to qualify all the all the World Cups, um, but recently they haven't, and they have struggled. Well, when I went to uh, play in Scotland, Jim, um, they had uh, the new rule came in when I went to play. Then I went there. I think I went there about two thousand and five. Um, yeah, about two thousand and five, and they had their, their rule was that six homegrown players had to be in the match day squad. Um, of those six players, two of them had to start the game or be on the pitch at one at one point. So if you started one and you brought him off, you had to replace him like for like with, with somebody. So it, it brought through your, your Sean Maloney's at the time for Celtic. Um, um, Rangers had obviously a, an influx of young players at the time, Scott Wilson, uh, Alan McGregor, um, etc. So it, it brought through all these all these good young Scottish players. And, and for me, I think sometimes you need to do that and you need to do something drastic in order to bring players through because... Scotland were having a lot of um, foreign players coming through. If that was Englishmen, if it was um, if it was people from overseas, uh, England have, England haven't really trialled it because the football is that successful. There's that many teams, that many leagues for players to go and get a platform and play. Um, I, I just think I just think we need to find a way to continue and have this continuation of having young um, players who are playing regular football because England have been successful under 19 level, under 21 level, um, under 16 level. I think this in, in the last two years. But, yeah. where, 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 well. but sorry, where do those players go and play on their platform? Where do they play their yeah. football unless they're given a the chance to play? The loan system's great. You know what I mean? You'll use Harry Wilson, for example. You know, one of the best young players to come out of Welsh football. Um, he's playing for a Premier League, Premier League side. He's now signed for Cardiff City. So he's, he's playing his platform now. He's excellent. But there's players who aren't getting that, 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 the minutes and the games, um, which are, in order are going to push him on to another level. And it's... It's, it's disastrous. Do you know, um, I think you mentioned uh, when you were playing, Ant, about the rule whether you had to have, I think it was three or four homegrown players. I think one of the reasons why the big clubs turned against that rule, so I'll use United as a, an example, was that they were classing Ryan Giggs as a foreign player, yeah. but he had come through their system. So you had the Welsh players and the Scottish players for some of the Premier League teams. They'd be classed as their foreign players they, they wouldn't count in the homegrown quota so I think if you can bring in I think that rule was had the right makings it, it just wasn't done very well I think ultimately UK born or like not even born necessarily but players who've come through UK club systems 
should count as homegrown players and you should have to have X amount in your matchday squad. Mm. And I think I, I agree. I not agree not your twenty-five man squad at the start of the season. I think it's got to be in the match day squad. I agree. There's no the thing is, listen, and that and that's the thing for me. Teams will just fill up this twenty-five man squad of players and not yeah, play them. They never use. You know what I mean? Like that. That my my problem with what you've just said there is 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 to come to the system that a Manchester City could sign a lad, a ten-year-old from Barcelona. He could yeah, go to school United in England. Well, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and then he he could be classed as a, as a local player, and then. But, John from down the road is, is not getting an opportunity to be a professional footballer because someone else has took his place and but I, this is where it becomes a bit of a mess and a grey area for me it's, and listen I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not against it but I, I just think it's stopping progression from, from, from other talent in the area and players but there's yes. a platform for everyone to play by the way so that player could go and sign for Oldham Athletic he could go and sign for Middlesbrough he could go and sign for Cardiff City so there's, 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 but, there's rules for everybody I'm sure that those clubs would argue that Yes, they might go and sign players, young kids from Spain, Italy, wherever, you know, the best players of their age group in, in Europe. But also, if there is a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old in Manchester or Liverpool or whatever who is as good, they'll also pick him up as well. Like, I don't think... I think that would be their argument, is that, yes, they'll look for the best players, but they'll look for the best players everywhere and then they still bring them through the system but ultimately that doesn't help the the UK based national teams improve does it um yeah. uh James asked who was Jim's idol growing up and which football team did he support um my idol was a gentleman called Jimmy McElroy he played for Burnley and then he went to Stoke so I supported Burnley and then I supported Stoke uh, everybody else in Northern Ireland supports Man United or Liverpool or Celtic or Rangers. Um, but Jimmy Michael was an inside forward and he was he was my hero. As a goalkeeping hero, there's a gentleman called Harry Gregg who sadly passed away this year, I think it was, or the end of last year. Um, he played for Northern Ireland and Manchester United. Um, so those two would, would have been my heroes. So obviously you didn't go down the fashion um, route, then did you, Jim? Obviously being a, um, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing uh, Burnley and Stoke played better football back then than they do now, because obviously they haven't got a good reputation at the minute. After those kind of two football clubs with the style of football, with the kind of managers, well, Michael O'Neill maybe is different now than obviously Tony Pulis when obviously he was at Stoke, etc. But uh, how do those two teams compare now than they did back when you supported them? Um. Well, you see, there wasn't that much uh, football on TV back when, when I was young. There was only uh, probably one one or two matches a week. So you didn't really get seen. You're here. Burnley were a big, big club when I was growing up. They were a first division club. Stoke were a first division club as well. They still signed Gordon Banks uh, uh, in his later years. Um, but you never seen them very often, Andy, because they weren't, weren't on TV very often. You only see them probably once, twice, three, three or four times a season maximum. Which uh, which probably wouldn't be a bad thing, uh, to be honest. Some of the games that we've had to endure, um, being a Middlesbrough fan, uh, being a Cardiff fan, you know what I mean? Sometimes you'd rather those, those games not be on TV at the minute with, the, with some, of the, some of the performances. But being a Middlesbrough fan at the minute is quite not a, it's not, it's not a bad thing. So I'm not going uh, to ruin uh, the good feeling we've got at the minute. But, mm. um, but no, it's it's... Football's evolved so much, hasn't it? You know what I mean? Me and Sai were on about it on um, on Friday that the amount of football that you can watch on a daily basis. You know what I mean? There's a game on every 
every once again finishes there's another game start starts straight away and you know uh, it, it it puts players into a into a different light gym doesn't it it puts players into a superstar straight away and that's young players that's yeah. even lads in the EFL Championship even lads in League One you know what I mean every footballer I think in who, who pulls the boots on on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock is well known because of the amount of games. Gillette Soccer Saturday, Jeff Stelling makes people famous by saying people's names and, and knowing people's reputation and things. And, and listen, it's, it's all a good thing, but it, that also comes with pressure and it also comes with expectation. And, and I think sometimes that um, it's going to be so interesting when fans come back because if the, the certain players who've impressed me during lockdown in the last six months are they going to be able to handle the pressure of playing in front of a crowd? Because I, I don't know about you, Jim, but I I couldn't imagine playing in front of nobody. You know what I mean? It reminded me so much of playing in, a, in the Pontins League, in the reserve game, and I, I would have hated it, I'll be honest. I, I used to thrive and, and enjoy playing in front of fans. Well, we both had to play practice matches on the, uh, in front of no no crowds. We'd have played in reserve matches. Uh, there was reserves in my day, uh, and there was maybe 50 people there. It was, it was dreadful. Without, without the fans, football was nothing. I mean, I remember going to, we played Portugal, I played against them at the old Stadium of Light in Lisbon, and there were 90,000 people at the match. Played at Wembley, it wasn't full when Northern Ireland played, it was probably 50 or 60,000 people, 50,000 people at Old Stafford. That's what you want to do, you want to play in front of fans. It must be terrible for the players now going onto the pitch and there's nobody in the stands. Yeah, no, well, we've said it, Sam, we? we've said. Yeah. It's you know that we we yeah we we spoke very highly of certain players and 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 we're, we're big uh, well uh, personally I'm a big fan of, um, of 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 Greenwood at United but you know what I mean I I can only judge somebody like him for example of when I've seen him for ten games in front of supporters because we know what we know how fickle football supporters can be and if you're not having a very good time you miss a chance supporters are on your back you've made a mistake high profile mistake like he has he's got to take that with the burden of fans being on his back during the game and it's. It's so different, so different with fans being there. And I, I hope they come back soon because um, I, I can't get my head around the, the fake crowd noises. Still, I'm, I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get fed up with it all now. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I don't like them. It's kind of gold when you, when in, in the old days, you go to somewhere like Millwall, which is the most horrible place to go to. The old damn part of the year, the fans just throw things at you, you hit in the back of the legs and. You just played on, and you never thought you were. Uh, Jim, the new the new den's not much better, by the way. I tell you, yeah. I, I've um, <laughs> no somebody 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 asked me. It was about two or three weeks ago, Simon. So somebody asked it was me recently, the, the, yeah, yeah, the worst the worst place I've played, and it it was it was up there. I was I'll be honest. I'll tell you the story. I was sub uh, playing for Cardiff. There was a Tuesday night game, and I was warming up, and some of the abuse I was getting. Oh my lord, I was getting a bit me, me me wife, me kids. So yeah. I, had to go, I had to go and sit back down because I was scared what they were going to say to me. Or I was I was constantly turning around just in case somebody was stood next to me and it frightened the life out of me. I'll be honest, it really scared me. And, and this is a this is supposed to be a, a safe environment, a football game. Listen, I've seen I've seen some trouble during during games during my time at Middlesbrough. I'm a time at Cardiff, but that that scared the absolute living daylights out of me. And I'm and I'm so I was so glad when the final whistle went. And I I was quite pleased I didn't get on as well for the only time in my career. <laughs> um. <laughs> Jim, a few people have asked, who was the hardest centre forward that you ever faced? Uh, that's a difficult one. Um, I think Joe Jordan was quite difficult because at the core coming in from across, you have to have one eye on Joe and one eye on the ball. And hopefully, I was able to catch a ball like Joe Wackham one. 
It was it was tough dodging money because I, I was I was at Sheffield United as a as a young lad on loan for Middlesbrough. And Joe was one of Steve Bruce's coaches, and uh, we did a little bit of training. And obviously, being one of the coaches, and oh man, some of the things he was trying to teach you and educate you is is be that horrible and be that evil. And me being a scrawny 17, 18 year old skinny kid, you know what I mean? I couldn't I couldn't replicate what he wanted me to do. <laughs> You weren't big enough, Andy. No, he was hard as nails, though. He was—he scared the life out of me. To be fair, he was difficult. I'll go one. I'll go one different to that question than Jim. I'll go. Um, who was who was the best player to ever score past Jim Platt? Oh, that's a question. Played against Man United. Uh, funny enough, we were talking about Nobby earlier on, and when Nobby came to us, uh, we drew Man United in the uh, English um, FA Cup. Uh, John at Man United and Nobby led the team out. We drew nearly each. And we, the replay at Aston Park, it's a funny one because we played in an afternoon. It was a time when uh, uh, we had strikes and the floodlights could go out, so we couldn't bend the floodlights. So I had play in the afternoon. And they beat us 3 0. Uh, Bobby Charlton, our best team, both scored in that match. Um, William Morgan, probably the beat three 0 So I would have to say Bobby Charlton and Charlie Best. And who was the, who was who was the best player then not to score past Jim Platt? Was Andy? Who was the best player not to score? So who did you who who was the best player that you that you kept out who was never 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 got this never got the score past you? Well, I said three different penalties at Anfield. Um, what the same game? No, no, no. Three different that's, that's, different in, that's impressive on its own, eh? but even, even still, three different, three different well, games. I, like different uh, <laughs> uh, I said, I said when at Old Trafford, um, the, the Anfield, Liverpool is the best place stadium I've played under. The fans yeah. are brilliant there. They're very appreciative. Um, and it's just a pleasure to play there. We were playing them in the League Cup. Middle East with 10 minutes to go. And... That year, Liverpool were getting all the penalties. Now, Man United are getting all the penalties. They got a penalty with 10 minutes to go down at the cup end. And a fellow called Alec Lindsay, you probably wouldn't remember him, Scottish International. He worked it and I saved it. And we went up in school. We were shouting for the referee to blow the whistle because the Middle East draw was a good result for us. And Willie Madden went forward and scored in the last minute and we won 1 0. Quality. Quality. You, yeah, you, that you that you just said something interesting there, though, Si. Jim said um, that Man United and Liverpool both got uh, quite a lot, quite a lot of penalties. It's funny that because I watched the game on I watched the game on Saturday, which I seen another game where they got another penalty. By the way, which I don't believe is a penalty, and they're still going on about no, today. Mate, is, someone day, tweeted but... me about that the other day. Like I try to avoid Liverpool games these days, but uh, someone tweeted me and said. Uh, about Liverpool winning by a dodgy penalty again. You know. It's the word inside of five side for me. Uh, the word contact. You know what I mean. So if there's contact, it's a penalty. It's not a load of rubbish. That is. It's got to be a foul. foul. It's a penalty. It's got to be a foul. It's not a contact. Contact. Oh, contact. There's contact all over the place. The handball. Um, the handball passes as well. And in my uh, day, you had to put your hand out and, and actually hit the ball. Now if it hits you in the hands, a penalty, which is ridiculous. Yeah, well, Jim, I, 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 I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to see uh, to listen to your opinion on um, on on seeing defenders defending with the hands behind your back as well, because that's that's been annoying me for years, to be honest. And and yeah. as a goalkeeper, how would you, how would you, how, how would you deal with that as a as a goalkeeper? It's serious. I mean, 
apart from chopping your arms off, yeah, you know, <laughs> if the centre forward and the foot players are so clever now, you could take it into the box and flick it under your hand and get a penalty. Well, this has been my, this has been my point, Jim. That that I said that the likes of Messi, for example, who get get somebody in the box, he's clever enough and intelligent enough just to flick the ball up and be able to hit somebody's hand, which which then would have been a penalty, which is just ludicrous. The, 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 the one that strikes me the most would be one of the Newcastle got where Andy Carr went up there. I can't remember. It was, they played on and they had to come back. It was a penalty. Andy Carr was the only one that claimed for a penalty in that time. And it did hit the, it was Eric Dyer, it was against Tottenham. Yeah, yeah Tottenham, and, yeah. Uh, back turned and a him and a, and a hand and they gave a penalty. That was ridiculous. And to say, if you look at the uh, clip again, Andy Carl was the only one that paid for a penalty because he had it. I totally agree. That's incredible. Um, I totally agree. Donna Perry asked, did you learn a lot from Pat German, Jennings and was it frustrating for you that he kept uh, kept on playing for so long? Which ultimately uh, minimised your international caps. Yeah, that's I mean, a good question. He, he played a hundred and odd times. I only played twenty-three times, and I was in the squad about fifty times. And it was frustrating, but um, I always enjoyed playing for my country. And um, I think a lot of people don't enjoy or don't give their all playing for their countries. And I, it was a proud moment for me when I. When I, when I played in my country, and I'm, I got to say I've got 23 caps. Some people haven't got any, so I'm happy. And I think that's the way it should be, though, isn't it, Side? You know, yeah. The way, the way Side's a, a proud Welshman. I'm a proud Englishman. You know that that it's it's just having having those having that passionate root and 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 just just wanting to see your country achieve. And that's as an individual, that's as a football fan, as a as a player. There was no proud moments that, that you know. I mean, every time I, the England the England under twenty one squad was getting selected, I was devastated when I didn't get picked. I was over the moon when I did, and it was just. It didn't get. It, it was. It was a pinnacle of my career. You know what I mean? Forget about the Champions League. You know what I mean? Because for me, the biggest moment in my life is is having to wear those, wear the three lines, and, and getting getting presented them England caps. And it was just something that it just blew me away. You know what I mean? That you that you see uh, international players across the world getting this gold cap because they've got fifty caps, hundred caps, whatever. And it's just. Oh, listen! It's, it's, it just makes you so envious, and so uh, I'm just I'm proud for them than than anything else. It's, it's absolutely great. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, let's have a look. What else we got? Uh, Cage Child asked, uh, Jim, which striker did you hate to play against who would score against you a lot? Quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few scores. <laughs> <laughs> you, always get them, you always get them players, though, those, Jim, don't you? All the games, all the teams. But you just don't enjoy playing against. Uh, but then on the other flip side, you get those teams that you do end up with the grounds you like playing at, the teams you like to play against. And but there's always those there's always under, those individuals where you just nothing goes for you all the time, and then you dread yeah. the next time you play against them. I never liked playing at Everton. I used to love playing at uh, Liverpool. But I never liked playing at Everton. A lad called a lad called Mickey Burns who came to us eventually. Uh, he was playing at uh, Blackpool and then Newcastle. Mickey. Whatever way he kicked the ball, he kicked it into the ground and it was very difficult to save it, whatever way he kicked it. And he came to us and uh, I said to him, and it was just the way he, he played. I don't think he scored a lot past me because he didn't play a lot, but he was one of them ones that kicked the ball very awkwardly and 
was offered for the goalkeeper to save. Great stuff. Nobody um, else really, as I say, there's quite a few people scored past me, but I can't say there's anybody scored more than anybody else. There probably is. That's the that's the joys that's the joys of being a goalkeeper though, I guess, though. You know what I mean? You yeah, someone's gonna have to stop at you, aren't they? You know, so Oh, hundred percent. Andy, was there a goalkeeper who you used to like uh, like have a good record against, constantly score against? Um probably not probably not a goalkeeper. You know what I mean? Obviously the the most probably the, the, the best goalkeeper I think I ever faced and scored against. Uh obviously my three goals were for Cardiff City against uh, Oldham Athletic and I, I I grew up idolising Andy Gorham. Every time I played in goal, I used to love Andy Gorham. Um, yeah. And then I remember when uh, when we travelled down to Oldham on that Friday night, we were in the hotel and Andy was there and I sat down with him because he was having his dinner. You know, we were having pre-match meal. Sat down with him, had a good chat with him, got his autograph and I was I was made up. But then obviously to play against him the next day, I was thinking, I'd love to score. I'd love to score. Um, got the first one, got the second one. When I scored a hat trick, I was just, uh, just it made my day. It made, and, and you know what I mean? There was obviously loads of things happened in that game. We scored seven. I was, he never played for Oldham again. And I felt a little bit guilty, but then I thought, well, bigger picture here. I'm, I'm, I'm selfish. Yeah. I want to, I got, I, I got a little bit of a buzz for it, but no, I, I, I love that. I loved, uh, uh, I love doing it against him. There's a, there's a team though. I, I hate, I used to, I hate, I hate playing against them. You know what I mean? Personally. And it was West Ham. And it was West Ham every time I played away. Every time I played at Upton Park. You know what I mean? The atmosphere was always hostile. It wasn't. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say I was. I was intimidated. But you know what I mean? We never. We just never got a good result against them. It was every time we were in the tunnel, we were coming out. I'm forever blowing bubbles, and then all of a sudden the game started, and it was just a wipeout, and it was just a washout. Mm. And every time I played there, it was we got heavily beaten for West Ham and for Car- uh, for Middlesbrough and for Cardiff. I never got any change at all at Upton Park, and it was. Um, but it was always West, a good game West, to play. Out. West Ham teams. West Ham a good team, and you're right. That was a hard place to go to. Another place. Uh, it was a hard place to go to before I forget. And in that time, it was Leeds. Leeds yeah. was a very intimidating ground to go yeah. to. Do you find, though, Jim, now then, on, on, on those kind of points then, because I'm on about Upton Park, I'm on about probably Main Road, um, that, that grounds now aren't as intimidating now as they used to be because they're bigger, there's a lot more space, the, the pitch isn't, is, is quite far away from the, from, from the grounds, etc. And the fans are sitting down. <laughs> they used to come forward and yeah. shout that you, Andy. Uh, yeah. They were allowed to come forward and uh, they were more intimidated because they were standing. Yeah. But then I could say that though about about atmosphere as well, though, couldn't I? Because I say I was brought up watching Middlesbrough at Essen Park. You know, I went with my dad. It, the atmosphere was always great, and um, the, the whole gate end was amazing. The atmosphere was great when the goal went in. You know, that obviously I idolised Bernie and John Hendry and and those kind of players. And, and seeing Bernie stand up at the whole gate end and, and celebrate with the supporters is is one of those moments and one of those things that I've got a I've got a fo- I've got a photo of, of 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 the fence at Essen Park. A little bit of a snippet of the fence with Bernie scoring his goal and. And celebrating against Man United, when he scored past Michael, and it's it's those kind of moments that that we never get back. You can't you can't regenerate those kind of moments. That the Riverside's great. They had to make the move. For example, Cardiff City had to leave Indian Park um, to generate more money as a, as a as a business. But the atmosphere in both those grounds, in particular, is just nothing compared to what it what it was in the old grounds, in my opinion. No, because there was there was. I mean, I've played at Hudson Park for 42,000 people. Now you might have. Played with 42,000 people, but uh, the website only holds like 34. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of standing in those days, and they were quite phosphorus, the, uh, the fans behind the goals. Yeah, and I, 
I'd, I'd, I'd like your thoughts on uh, obviously your move to Cardiff City, Jim. That obviously I know you, it was only a loan spell. I think um, obviously we've got a lot of Cardiff fans uh, who watch this show, uh, a lot of Middlesbrough fans as well. But um, we've had quite a lot of links, haven't we, Sai? We've had uh, we've had myself obviously with the, the links at Middlesbrough and Cardiff. We've had Graham Cavanaugh on who's played for both. We've had uh, other guests on who's, who've played for both. And it's just a coincidence, by the way, that that, that it's just it seems it seems to be yeah. the, the, them links with the clubs that. It seems to happen quite often with certain clubs, and it was Lenny Lawrence, obviously managed Middlesbrough, managed Cardiff City. So there's always these links in football which seems to follow around. And and, and when I speak to a lot of Cardiff fans, Middlesbrough has a has a fond place in Cardiff fans' memories and 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 lives because of the links with myself and Lenny and, and other players, really. So what were your, what were your memories of, of of playing for Cardiff? Well, first of all, I only played four games for them, you know. So I wasn't a lifetime. I was on loan. Uh, it can be long. It can be. It can be long enough, though, Jim. I tell you. <laughs> well, I didn't want a match when I was there. Um, <laughs> their goalkeeper was injured, and, and I was out of the first team. I'd gone to Hartlepool for two months. Uh, the manager didn't want me to go, but I said I'd rather go there and play first team football and play for our reserves against uh, Chesterfield reserves or Halifax reserves or whatever. So. I went there for two months, I came back and uh, Cardiff came out of the for a month and uh, so I went to four games and I enjoyed it. I don't think we won any matches. We won a good team then. Yeah, so um, Jim, I just we had lots of questions from the people so I, I tried to get through as many as I can to obviously, uh, for the people who've taken the time to ask you a question and there's been lots of them. Uh, so I'm going to pick two to finish. We'll have uh, John uh, asks who is the best goalkeeper in the world right now? That's a good one. That I think you'd have to go for the uh, Liverpool goalkeeper, possibly. I don't know many foreign goalkeepers, I haven't seen much of them, but the Liverpool goalkeeper is that, Al- is that Al- Alison? Alison, Alison Becker, mm. is that right? Is that, is that was, or whatever he calls himself, he calls himself anything, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think, um. If you'd asked me 12, probably 18 months ago, I'd have said David De Gea and there's no yeah. one near him, but he has just gone off a cliff uh, in the last 18 months. I don't know what's gone on with his form. But Si, um, we, we, we spoke about there about, about, um, about Harry Kane getting getting dog's abuse and getting abuse off yeah. people. He's, an, he's, a, he's a human being, David De Gea, and the, some of the abuse he's taken, by the way, live on TV, Roy Keane in particular, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's slanderous. You know, it's 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 awful, and it's someone's opinion. Same as Paul Pogba. There's Paul, a way to do if, it, though, in there, mate. If people know? don't, and if people don't like somebody, there's, there's, you've, you've just said there's a way to do it, and there's a and there's a there's a manner. We have we, we have manners. We're brought up as, as as nice people, and sometimes you don't have to be that brutal on live TV about an individual. Especially for someone who had had Player of the Year for six years before that for United and. You know, won them games constantly. I felt like he was a bit out of order with the way that he went about it. But anyone's allowed to bad There's game no getting. Like. There's no getting away from it. It's not just one or two mistakes. Is it? It's been. No, I get that. I, two I get seasons. that. But the thing is, Roy obviously made mistakes in his career. You know what I mean? He had bad times. You know what I mean? And yeah, he wasn't, knows wasn't, wasn't, like. there wasn't. There wasn't the publicity which was around like there is now. That you know what I mean? Sometimes it's uh, you got to be careful what you, what you say. It's an but interesting I one as well, Andy. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Yeah. Um, well, Jim, here's a question then for you on uh, on David De Gea. He had he's had a terrible two seasons. Uh, so in the summer, they've recalled Dean uh, Henderson from Sheffield United, who's pushing to be 
to number one, both for England and United. Um, and all of a sudden, David De Gea's form has improved massively. Um, I think he did make a mistake in the, very early on in the season, but since then he's been pretty good. He hasn't made any mistakes. He's been in good form. He's in Europe. He's been in particularly good form. Psychologically, the goalkeeping position obviously is different to anything else on the pitch. But I would say, I, why is his form improved so much when he's got a bit more competition? Whereby. You know he had been so good previously, and then he's fallen. His form's dripped, dipped dramatically. He was still under pressure last year from the other goalkeeper. I can't, can't remember his name. It's called uh, Romero. Was he Romero? Romero, yeah. the, the farm, farm boy. Uh, but he just had. A, he just made a few mistakes, and there were a couple of really bad mistakes. Uh, I reckon every goalkeeper would make between three and five really bad mistakes every year. And then there'd be a few more where people would say, well, he should have done that. Give it to Hayes. Definitely made three or four yeah. last year. And he's come through that. And he, he will make the odd bad one again. Uh, I don't know enough about Dean Henderson. They say if he's good enough to take over from. Yet at the moment, the Hayes is the best for Man United. Yeah. And final question from the chat, and thank you to everyone. And if I have missed any or we haven't got to any, I apologise there's been a lot. Uh, Leslie Coates asked, did George Best ever score past Jim Platt? Yeah, I said that before. Um, in that match, it was 3-0. Best, Charlton and Morgan scored the three goals. That's it, yeah. I, think, I know Bobby Charlton definitely scored and Morgan scored the penalty. I think Betty got the third one. Or a second one or whatever. Yeah, I thought I. You can't be too down, can you? You can't. No. You can't be too down, You sometimes you just gotta just hold your hands up and just say, uh, not, "Not bad yeah. players to score against you." Absolutely. <laughs> I wanted to get Leslie's question in because he asked a question earlier, uh, which was a really good question about um, the penalty at the cop and Manchester United and how it felt. But you'd already answered it in a like when we were talking about something else. So I wanted to get that in. Um, and again, thank you to everyone who's sent in questions. Um, and then, Andy, I think you just wanted to kind of yeah, round this Jim, off there, mate. Yeah, I, I, I'd just like to tell everybody, Jim, what you're up to now, because uh, you know what I mean? You've gone down a down a different route of what you're, what you're doing currently. I know you were, you were you were in the middle of doing... Well, you thought you were going to do a meeting tonight, weren't you, for something? So, for people who don't know, Jim, what you're up to now? Well, I thought I had retired, Andy. I'm 68. <laughs> I've got my pension at 65, and uh, somebody asked me whether I stand for council. I said no, and they kept on at me, and they kept on me, and I agreed. So um, I'm council from Middlesbrough Council. And uh, there's been a lot to learn, and I'm still learning. Um, I haven't made much of a difference yet, uh, because I'm only one person, but I hope I'm serving uh, my own um, area, which is the area of Akron. I hope I'm serving them properly. Well, Jim, I know how passionate you are about the area, so, you know what I mean, for me personally, I, I, I know uh, we're in good hands, so, you know what I mean, I think, uh, keep it keep it up, you know what I mean, I know how passionate you are about uh, about the football club, the area itself, the people who live here, so, you know what I mean, for me, thanks for coming on, you've been an amazing guest. Some of the questions, by the way, can I just say to people who've, who've watched the show, commented in the group chat, that absolutely fantastic, the most Phenomenal. interaction we've had 
in a in a in a long time, and it's uh, it's amazing. We absolutely love doing this. It's absolutely, you know, what I mean, we could, I could sit here all night and talk about it, but I'm conscious that I don't want to take up any more of anybody else's time. And, uh, and me and Sai will probably just talk for the rest of the night. Well, um, I'm going to very very quickly before we finish off, I'm going to very quickly just do a couple of plugs because um, it's been a, a busy. I spent most of yesterday uh, receiving messages about the mental health in sports series before the show even went out. Um, a massive thank you to Warsaw captain uh, James Clark for talking to us so openly and honestly about his experiences with PTSD because that's not easy for a current player to do, to be able to come out and talk openly about suffering with mental health issues. Um, so a massive thank you to him, massive thank you to everyone who messaged about that show. Um, we've got a new one coming because the show the series has been extended uh, this Sunday. We're talking, or we're going to be talking with ex-Sunderland and Cardiff City defender Darren Williams. We're recording that later in the week. Uh, I've also just had a message off another current player who's going to be filming the show as well. So thank you to everyone who tuned into that. And um, uh, tomorrow night I'm live again with Super Kev for Kevin McNaughton Unscripted. So join us for that. It'll be interesting. It won't just be football talk. It'll be a bit of everything. And uh, massive thank you to Black Diamond Sports. Bespoke Financial for sponsoring the show, of course. And uh, most of all, thank you to the legendary Mr. Jim Platt and uh, every single person who uh, comes in week in, week out, sends us messages, asks us questions, gets involved, likes, shares and everything. It means the world to us. We love it. There's a reason why people say we're the most interactive football show on the net. It's because it's true. That's why it is. Um, Jim, <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. And uh, yes, Garen just asked uh, Friday, Cardiff City are on Friday. Are we going to be on at the normal time, Andy? What time does it kick off? I thought it was, is it half past five kickoff? I'm not let sure. Me just, let, me, let me just check while, while I'm on. You while check I'm that on. then, and uh, I'll just uh, read out some of these messages. Garen says, well done, Jim. Great show tonight. Great show. <laughs> People are loving you, Jim, i got to say. Leslie says, says uh, Jim's the next MP for Middlesbrough. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Uh, what, what time was it, Andy? Sorry? 6pm. So we might have to yes. go a little bit later. We might have to finish. So what would it do? Half, a seven. half seven start? Half seven, so 20, just... 25, yeah-ish, yeah. Or quarter to eight start or something? Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll put out a post anyway. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. basically start the second... Cardiff City finishes. Don't worry, we'll, 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 we'll work around you guys. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll change everything. We won't see our families. I won't see my wife and kids. And we'll change everything just so we can watch the football and then talk yeah. And then talk about football. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Now we'll, we'll, we'll sort something out. But yeah. um, for those of you who will be in tomorrow, I'll see you. Uh, for me and Kev, it's going to be interesting. I can say that much. But uh, Andy, it's a pleasure, mate, as always. Oh, I loved it. Loved it. It's always and, nice uh, to have. Uh, it's always nice to have good people on who, who are passionate about what we do as well and enjoy it as much as we did. So thanks again, Jim. You've been a superstar, mate. Really yeah, appreciate it. Enjoy it. Good show, by the way. Thank you very Thank much. You. Cheers, cheers, Jim. And uh, we'll see you next Monday, seven thirty for the Andy Campbell Football Show. Friday for the Andy Campbell Championship Show. Tomorrow for the Super Kevin Scripted, and Sunday for Mental Health and Sport. It is non-stop content. So spread the word, subscribe, and tell your friends. My mummy and daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me, but I don't really understand. 
Then my Auntie Louise told Mummy about Bespoke Financial Teesside. She said they're a local company who helped her with her life insurance. Mummy got in touch and because they're based locally, a man called Darren was able to come to our house. He was really friendly. Darren stayed for a cup of tea and made it all really easy to understand. He said that life insurance will protect our home and family if anything bad were to happen. Like if Mummy or Daddy got sick, then we'd get enough money to take care of us and our house would be paid for so we wouldn't get taken away. After an hour, Darren said goodbye and Mummy and Daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted, we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner. Podcast Network.